Thanks for listening to Northwest Vibe. Hey, this was a long podcast. A uh, couple of technical issues, but uh, I edited it as best I could. I thought I lost like an hour and a half segment, but uh, luckily that didn't happen. Uh, it's great talking to James, old friend, really well-spoken, well-thought-out. It was really nice listening to his takes. We shared a lot of beliefs, uh, and uh, it was just excellent getting on there, and I think I might be changing some of my opinions after talking to him. It was really uh, an honor to have him on. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, another episode of Northwest Vibes with Kelly, a.k.a. Permadude on Twitter. And I got my buddy here, James, a uh, long, long friend, long-known friend uh, from way back in the day. And uh, he actually did my uh, my new – actually, my old logo for the podcast and now my new logo or avatar for the podcast. And uh, he's on here today. So appreciate it, James. How you been, bro? I've been great, Kelly. Yeah, glad uh, glad you like it. Life's been good. <laughs> so cool. Dude, I was like beaming from ear to ear all day when I when you sent me that. I was like, oh my gosh, just up up the quality of my podcast like by double. I swear. So I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, you just keep doing what you do, and and uh, let me know how I can help. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I'm just. I don't. <laughs> I'm probably like the smallest podcast ever, but I just, I listen to podcasts every single day as I'm driving around. I heard about Anchor and I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to just do something, you know, kind of like Joe Rogan, but obviously not as long or, you know, not like as big or, but, you know, and just like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, like segments or whatever, but just kind of talk about, whatever the fuck comes off the cuff basically yeah for sure i listen to joe rogan too he's pretty awesome yeah yeah super chill cat so it's been it's been good but uh let's see here let's let's start with you and i met you when we were both working at pizza pipeline like 20 years ago 16 years ago 17 years ago something like that i don't know it was it was a while ago and uh, we always, you know, had good conversations. And Ian, uh, our boss, he would like he would listen to um, like conservative talk radio back in the commissary, and you would listen. And we'd both have like really in depth conversations on politics. And this was like while well, Obama was being or about to be elected against McCain and all that other stuff. But um, your passion during that time was comics and have you followed that passion through or like what how are you because you obviously you're still drawing doing great at it what what are you doing now yeah absolutely so um yeah i i still make comics um and i'm full-time freelancer doing illustration and graphic design um i have a number of services that i offer to my clients and, um, you know, I'm going through right now and doing a little bit of a rebranding and refocus as well, which has been pretty great. And um, I really love it. You know, I I've done this business. This is the fourth time that I've launched this business and with a different focus each time. And every time I just learn more and um, it's pretty great. 
Um, I've kind of found my niche in a lot of ways and business is really strong. I, uh, you know, I usually have to let people know where they're at in my pipeline and it's, it's often a few weeks out before I can start on their projects, depending wow. on the complexity of what I'm working on. That's so cool. I remember looking at your uh, portfolio on Friendly Belligerent, and that was really impressive. And now you got this new J. James Design and Illustrations.com website. That's pretty awesome, too, man. You're really you're really killing it, man. Yeah, I've actually got four websites right now, but uh, that's the primary one that I use and I direct people everybody, uh, everybody to. Dang, look at you, man. All right. So I remember, you know, living in the same house with you and you were you know, you really like the G.I. Joe comics and you had a lot of stuff along those lines. Is that kind of still where you're going through or, or is it, do you have a different, you're doing design illustration and then comics on the side or, or how is that all on, on the daily? How is that working out? Well, um, it depends. There's like a season for all things, I suppose is a good way to look at it. So when, um, when I do have a comics job, I usually have to put other things aside. It takes a certain mindset to be in that groove. Um, when I have a really large design job, it's very similar. Um, so I try to make sure that if I'm working on primarily design work for most of a week, that I do as much design work as possible because yeah. I already have the programs open. My brain is sort of already in that gear. Likewise with illustration, you know, if I'm switching from a few weeks of working on my like I like to call it my workhorse my large computer that has all the the primary software and my my beast of a of a monitor um, nice and um I uh if I'm switching from there to my drafting table it's a different mindset and a different groove to be in and so I like to be able to stay on the drafting table for a week or two if I can without having to break off from it because switching okay. between back and forth makes me like less efficient um and once I get into a good groove and even you know really kind of grind away um I can get uh moving very very fast on pages um wow. yeah. interesting interesting right on that's an interesting approach um I didn't know you know everyone operates differently but that that makes a lot of sense to me. See, and you're yeah. not you're not just hand drawn stuff. You're doing computer design as well, animation, everything like that too, huh? Well, uh, animation's not a service that I offer, um, but I do work with animators and create assets for them to use in their work. Um, so most recently, um, I did some pieces for a music video for a client that I do a lot of work for. Um, and I think actually I've done that for two or three of his videos. And so I'm working with like his animator to create um, elements to use in, in his work. And, um, and then I did a little bit of uh, animation work for uh, my recent wedding. I, I made a website for that and built a huge video. It was a big multimedia online thing. It was a big deal. And um, so there's a little animation in that too. Oh wow, that's cool, man! You you're, you always had stuff. Like I was always back there playing Call of Duty. Like, come on, man, let's play some video games. And you're like, no, well, maybe, maybe later. I just I got to get this one thing done. I got I got this idea. I got I got to get this down. Every, every so I love that you've like stayed true to that and evolved evolved through it. I think that's really cool, man. I think I'm still a lot like that. People invite me out and say, ah, you know, I can't. I got to work. And they'll be like, oh, don't you want to stop working? And I'm like, no. 
<laughs> I have to, I want to get this thing finished. I got three more behind it. Did you ever work with Andy? He, oh, uh, I don't know. He, he, he's like, he's repairing uh, instruments now and stuff like that. Anyway, he's a cool, cool piece of pipeline, dude. Anyway, he was talking, or he had a, he had a post on Facebook the other day saying that, you know, for a musician, you have a choice between uh, work and sleep and no practice or practice and sleep and no work or, or, or no, it's social life. Like, practice and social life, no sleep, you know, whatever. So it's like you can never have all food. But do you, you feel like that's the same thing for yeah, you know, it's kind of changed um, because for almost all of my life, I've been in one particular groove. Um, maybe that's the wrong phrase, but I've, I've been in one um, kind of steady cycle, I would say, for, for my work and personal life habits and my sleeping habits. And in the last three years, that's changed dramatically, um, where originally... Um, and this this was true from the mid 90s up until a few years ago. Um, I would kind of work on like a three week cycle where I could just push through and work for like three or four days at a time and sleep like four hours. And, you know, usually I was working, making so much art or whatever that I would just use my bed as a surface and have projects all over it and like crash out on the floor for four hours and then get back up and be right at it. And yeah. And so I'd have these like three week swings where I just did that and just burned. And all I did was just burn, burn, burn. And, but I knew that I had to schedule around those because like the fourth week I would just sort of crash and then I'll go out and go dancing and socialize for a week and sort of be relaxed. Um, and so I would actually like plan that into my work pipeline. Um, and that's how I got so much done. So, I mean, in, in the Colorado area and a little bit in like the Portland comic book um, scene, but mostly in, in like the Denver uh, scene and, and like the Colorado graphics um, community, I, I got a really big reputation for like my output and and the volume that i could put out yeah that's um, awesome. yeah and what i found is in the last few years um well i was there was an accident i got injured and there was a, a long recovery period and then afterwards like my body and my brain don't behave the same way so now i'm like um a little more of a normal person so i actually sleep like <laughs> six to eight hours a night and then I get up and like focus in the mornings and do the thing kind of like somebody else. And uh, it concerned me when this started happening because I was afraid I wasn't going to get as much done. Um, right. And I didn't have uh, this like burning sense of mania in the back of my brain like I used to have. Um, but I, I talked it over with a gentleman in Portland. He's a comic book artist who's been, you know, he's had like a 30 year career doing it. And uh, he's a little older we're not really like close or anything, but he's used to seeing me every year and we usually talk. So um, I got to chatting with him about it and he kind of thought about it for a little while. He said, you know what? I know you're disappointed by this change, but 
you know, you're not as young as you used to be. And the thing is, this might have happened anyway. Maybe this just happened a few years earlier than it would have normally. And I kind of changed my perspective and maybe, okay, I guess that, that makes sense. So that was pretty cool to hear. Interesting. Right on. So is it, what, what so I want to, I want to find out what drives you. Is it just pure unadulterated passion or is it more of like, uh obligations or is it goals or is it just like fear of missing out like what 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 gets you going every single day like how do you how do you keep that discipline man um that's a good question that's something i ask myself too i i like that you said the fear of missing out i think there's some part of that um you know when i was younger for a very long time especially when i was trying to establish myself as a businessman and get reasonable clients um i I think a lot of it was ego driven and, um, and just sort of, um, you know, all, all about like some voice in my head saying me, you know, telling me that I was missing out or I needed to do this thing. And it seems to me like now where I'm at in my life, it is just a passion and I, you know, I can say no to projects and I can work on my own projects. And, uh, you know, if I go out, um you know if i go out like jogging or if i go out dancing or um if i go to like the boxing gym then that'll be a nice switch of pace to get out of the office or whatever but you know after i've been out there for about an hour i start going like you know i really want to get back to this thing i've got going on it's like an unfinished thought um that i want to complete you know and and i have so many ideas there's so many things that i could do that i despair of never getting them done. And that's something that everybody I think has to deal with. Um, but the reality of how short our lives are and how little I can get done in it, I think has become really obvious to me. So I'm sort of being choosier about what it is that I want to do, because right now there's like 15 projects for myself that are, are kind of plates that I'm spinning in, in addition to client things. And it's sort of like, well, I cannot do all of these yeah. You know, so I have to be careful consistently to choose the direction I'm going in. And sometimes that even means going into my website and just like removing an entire category of wow. services that I offer. And I've done that before too. Um, and just say, you know what? I don't do this anymore. Uh, I'm going to work on these things. Wow. That's cool. Well, I don't know if you told me this or if this was just my thought process. Tell me if I'm wrong. But when I was living with you, uh, A, I was kind of jealous of your of your passion and your drive. But then another thing that I was jealous of was like, I, I, I don't know if you told me this, but it was like, my thought was you didn't want a normal nine to five job. Like you wanted to be in control. You wanted to do your art. You wanted to live through your art. And I thought that was the coolest thing. But was, was, did you tell me that you wanted to avoid a regular job or, or is that just me translating your behavior? No, you know, I can't say for a fact that I said that, but I think that's very true. I probably did indicate that at some point. Um, you know, I've like had you, a lot you of had jobs. A, you, you had a job, but it was like, but then you were going to go to home to your real job like every time. Like, I don't know. I, I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had. Um, well, and that, it's been that way for a lot of my life, you know, where uh, I, I would go through you know, in my 20s or my late teens, I'd go through swings where I'd have like a part-time job or I worked 20 hours a week or 24 hours a week or whatever. And then I'd go home and work 40 hours at home. And, you know, and then there'd be 
you know, a year or two as an adult where I'd work and yeah, there goes piece of pipeline for you. You know, I'd work at pizza pipeline for 55 hour weeks and, um, and then I'd go home and, and only be able to put out like 15 hours of work on my own stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, there was some level of dysfunction with all trying to balance all of that. Um, that I think I'm over at this point, but, uh, yeah, I really do just absolutely adore being able to, um, work on my own projects and i think it's more hours than it would be if i just punched in and punched out somewhere um yeah you know i did take on a job when i was uh recovering from that accident because i had um, a brain injury and it slowed down my thinking significantly for a very long time wow and uh so i went and took a job that was was sort of like what i call like a, a god job like i need something and i need something that lets me be of value to other people yeah and um and so i went and managed like a uh, self-help recovery facility and uh, that lasted for about a year and a half until basically the covid shutdowns and they're donation based um you know so they ran off of basically like they'd get every so often a really little grant but otherwise it was donation based they did not have um money coming in and i was the only employee at that time and uh I was the manager, um, you know, so for a long period of that, I was basically managing a volunteer staff and, um, and it was a lot of people who were suffering. You know, there were people who came in that had mental illness problems or addiction problems and that kind of thing. And um, I was sort of the rock that they would smack against. And I was, I worked really long hours at that place and uh, it was a ton of work, but the board of directors there allowed me to do what I wanted. They barely set any agenda for me at all. And they hired me. They said, um, like, we know about your past. We know what you normally do. We want you to take this place over and put your stamp on it and run it the way that you think it needs to be run. And if you have, you know, any situations that you're not sure about, come to us for um, guidance or coaching. But otherwise, like, just, you know, bring your best game every day and I did and um, that was really rewarding for a very long time this is super difficult too because um, you would have people come in who were you know they weren't just having like a bad day they were having like a bad year or whatever and, and <laughs> you were the one I'd be the one that uh, that they uh, needed to smack up against or whatever so there was constantly like weird unnecessary tension or unnecessary drama and stuff and right, right, um, right. it was okay because um i didn't let it affect me you know a lot of it was people just bringing in you know their their exterior lives or what was going on in their exterior lives and we were supposed to be like the quiet place they could come to to get that shit out and yeah. you know so they were in the right place because that's what it was there for so was having the, the biggest problem there or my way off um, you know, no, I, I think heroin might've been the biggest problem in that city, but I don't think those people were coming through the doors. Okay, um, okay. it wasn't court, it wasn't like a court ordered place. So, um, there were other facilities in town that were like court ordered. Um, and I think they would deal with a lot of like the harder drugs. Um, the people who were coming to where I was at were people who essentially wanted to be there. 
So that was a pretty big difference. You had people who used to use heroin um, or, or used to use meth and they would come in, but they generally come in when they were clean a little bit, you know, they, they'd already they been through. through. Yeah. They'd already been through a detox, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Your injury. Uh, can do you mind divulging in that at all? Yeah, sure. I don't want to get too much into that, but, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I was out cycling. It was a nice summer day and I was out cycling and I was in a bicycle lane and this guy ran a stop sign. and just nailed me. He sent, uh, he sent me out into a lane of traffic in a different lane, um, or the other road. And, uh, I had this very heavy bag with me. It was my portfolio bag because I was on the way to meet a client and take payment. Um, and this bag probably weighs, gosh, I don't know, 12 pounds, 13 pounds, something like that. And it hit, got hit with enough force that it flew out two and a half lanes into traffic. Oh my and God. it shattered a bunch of the clips on the bike. There was this little metal and plastic clips all over um, the street. And I was blacked out with my head on the curb and my feet were out. And it's a, uh, it's a six lane road. It's uh, got a, median in the middle so it's three lanes on that side and um you know i came to the traffic had stopped so i didn't get run over because subsequently after getting hit and landing like out in the road with my head on the curb i could have gotten run over but i didn't and so um that was just uh, i was just incredibly grateful that 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 didn't get worse than it was Absolutely. Do you feel like you're in bonus time already? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that kind of changed my outlook. And I'd been um, I'd been doing some regular weekly boxing classes for about um, two, well, maybe a year and a half leading up to that. And I think that that training and that fitness helped me to kind of survive that better. Okay. Okay. Like mentally and physically. Yes. Yeah. Because um, you know that could have been a lot worse. And honestly, that really ought to have been a lot worse because I got plowed, dude. It, it hey. bent the it bent parts of the frame, and um, it was a mess. And um, it uh, it it lifted and threw the bike about eight feet. Um, <laughs> and I was and I was farther than that. Um, so uh, you know, but I think that just being a little more limber and a little more flexible and everything allowed me to, um, I don't know, maybe I just bounced. I'm not sure if I was like a cat, but, um, well, you're a healthy guy for sure. So I, I, I know that helped. Yeah. Yeah. It helped a lot. Um, but you know, it was a wreck for a long time. And so, you know, I, I kept going to those classes after about six weeks away Um, but there wasn't a lot I could do, you know, so at that point it became sort of a part of rehab because I was seeing a lot of specialists, dude. I was seeing, uh, two different at various times, two different cognitive therapists, a physical therapist and an occupational therapist who was like a speech therapist. Um, and, and, uh, that was exhausting. It was all I could do. I would get out of bed. And I would walk down and get on the bus and then I would go down to 
like one therapy class and then I would get back on the bus and head home and I would stop and get like this really carb and calorie dense like and sugar sugar dense and salt dense like um Chinese food just this huge order and just mal on it on the way home (laughs) and by the time I got home I'd crash out and I'd sleep for 20 hours and that was my day you know I was going to physical therapy or cognitive therapy for like six months and that was like six months of my life back in 2018 uh and I would just eat that food and lay in the lay in bed and crash out and like my brain was just trying to recover and they kept telling me um you need to stop drawing you have to stop drawing and you need to sit in a dark room and keep your eyes closed we don't want you to have light we don't want you to be looking at things we don't want you reading wow uh, we don't want you, want you drawing. We don't want your brain thinking that hard. We don't want your eyes working that hard. We want you to shut it all down. Sh- just shut it all down. And uh, that was really hard for me. <laughs> that was like the opposite of what I wanted to do. Right. right. So I was pretty resentful about all that, but I did it. Mostly. I remember you telling I'm me you you it well. that I, I forgot all of that. That's uh, super intense, man. It is a big deal for me. Yeah, it kind of changed my life a little. Yeah, just a little bit, bro. Just a little bit. Wow. All right. Uh, anything else on that? No, I think I'm solid on that. Okay. But yeah, yeah. definitely life changer. Definitely put your life in context. You, you you follow your comics. You follow your passion. You you've intermixed it like a lot of. I mean, most people in the world can't say they've intermixed their career and passion. So you're already one up on most people, including me. So that that's really cool. But let's go into let's go into your favorite comics do you do you have i know that's like a huge subject for you but um like can you go like favorite illustrator and then maybe like a favorite story and then like maybe a favorite like overall high quality comic can you can you do that or is that too much well that's not too much but you want me to limit it because like that's that might be too much just limiting it down i don't know but uh, yeah i can 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 talk for hours yeah, how about <laughs> you do like a top top three on each, or is that, sure. does that feel too disrespectful? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay, um, I actually somewhere I have a list of this. I could have printed this out so when I get interviewed, I can sit and rattle off all these. Um, there's a bunch of outtakes from the the wedding video that we shot where um, I went and, and gave like lengthy, um by which I mean three to five minutes on each comic that I put on that list. And, uh, uh, you know, I think I did, gosh, you know, I probably did an hour's worth of talking about comics for that thing. We didn't use any of it. It was all just outtakes. Um, That's on that website. Uh, no, they'd be on the YouTube. So, I mean, uh, if anyone wanted to look at that, um, the, uh, the wedding, uh website is mary and j james 2020.com that's just j j a m s e s um okay but uh, Check it uh out. and then the video link leads to a youtube channel and then there's outtakes on there and and uh, i don't know how many of those we did we didn't get process all the extra outtakes we could have but there's a bunch of them on there they're kind of silly okay, um, okay. yeah for for, for uh, conversation what what top three you got for favorite illustrator yeah so for uh favorite illustrator hmm, let's see um i'm gonna go with uh the artist who um let's see 
Who inspires me the most? I got a lot of names running through my mind real quick. Let's see. Uh, Brian Azzarello, for sure. Um, um, now, Eduardo Riso illustrated 100 Bullets. Brian Azzarello wrote it. Um, so 100 Bullets is this crime comic, and uh, it is, it's 100 issues long. And the oh, wow. basic, like the basic pitch for it is, let's say, Kelly, for instance, you had something really good going in your life, right? You had like a family and a job and you had like a passionate hobby that you did and everything was pretty good, right? Yeah. yeah. And then it all got taken away from you. Somebody did something to you and you lost it all. Okay. And it's been years and now you're just stuck in this series of resentment and you know who did it, but you can't prove it. And there's no recourse. You, you just stuck with it. You just have to accept it. And one day, you know, you're working like your barista job that you got now or whatever, wondering where every, you know, where everybody went, your friends and your family and what happened to your lifestyle. And this man walks in, this old bald man, and he has a briefcase and he walks up to you and he says, one of those smoothies that you make. And you start to make it and he says, uh, thanks, Kelly Adams. And you're like, how do you know my name? And he says, I know everything about you. Oh, he wow. says, I'm going to give you this briefcase. It's yours now. Inside this briefcase, you're going to find incontrovertible proof that the man who did this to you actually did it to you. And it'll have all of the evidence that you need. You're also going to find a handgun and it's completely untraceable. And, wow. and uh, if you get arrested while you're carrying this weapon, even if it's been used in a crime, within an hour, you'll be released. He says, and there's a hundred rounds, a hundred bullets. They're untraceable ammunition. Wow. He says, wow. You, now you don't have to use this for any reason, but you can if you choose to. And so now you have a moral dilemma. A hundred bullets. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that come to mind. Like, are, are you the kind of person who would do that? You know, would you take revenge? Would you not take revenge? Because maybe revenge isn't in your personality. Maybe it's a test. Is it, you know, what, what's, is there an ulterior motive? Does this other person also not like this person? Why wouldn't he just take them out? Um, why a hundred bullets? You don't need a hundred bullets for one person, you know? So there's this whole tapestry to play with and it goes for a hundred issues and it just keeps uh, more complicated and deeper as it goes along. Um, Brian Azzarello is a really great writer and he builds he crafts this like overall epic that um it's just fantastic i love it a lot okay. Um, okay. and then uh i i'm trying to i, I don't want to say i'm emulating eduardo riso but i study his art a lot he's fantastic r-i-s-s-o eduardo okay and um i he lives i think he's somewhere in south america i don't believe he speaks english um uh, fantastic artist. And uh, anytime that they work on a title together, I have to get it. Like I'm a sucker for anything that Azarello and Riso do together. Um, oh, and uh, I even bought their stupid werewolf comic, man. Um, <laughs> cool. cool. Uh, it was good. It was set in the 1920s. It was a prohibition era thing about a detective who's trying to, uh, he's supposed to track down some bootleggers. There's this uh, amazing moonshine 
that's the name of the comic. It's amazing moonshine that's being crafted in in the middle of the boonies. And uh, so this detective has to go figure out like who the bootleggers are and track them down. And it just turns out that the bootleggers happen to have a werewolf in their family. So it's a problem. But it's this very 1920s, like old cars and old clothes and the starkness and the shadows of everything. Just, I uh, mean, it's, it's perfect. And his facial expressions are great. Everything about Risa's art is amazing. That's so crazy. So you're not just enjoying, you're like, you're learning and absorbing at the same time. That's so cool. Yeah. Any art, anytime I can find an artist who it makes me feel that way, um, I'm all about it. For sure. Okay. Can you can you narrow it down to one more on the on the illustrator? One just yeah. has to be on there. Um yeah, so I think for uh the next one I would say um criminal. I am trying to uh I am trying to emulate that a little bit with one of the next comics that I'm working on. Um so his name is criminal. Yeah, criminal. And uh it's from the writer and artist team of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um and they do a lot of different comic series together, but Criminal's sort of like their longest running one. So they'll work on it for two years and then they'll switch gears and work on a different thing. And then they'll come back to it. Um, okay. They do very pulpy crime noir, very, very violent, very uh, amoral situations. And um, Sean Phillips' art is just very vivid and tangible and and like there's a, a thickness to it like a like a weight to it because of the inks it's so dark and and oh, the lighting is so stark um and i've kind of been studying the way that he shades and sometimes you can have entire panels that are almost nothing is seen it'll just be like a lot of black and a little bit of light hitting somebody's face from like the the blinds because they're scared that the cops are coming from or form or something like that and uh the the whole pitch for that comic is essentially you're in this town where bad people do bad things for money um there's really no angels in this town that we meet everybody's sort of like out for themselves or working with a gang um and um you you start to meet different characters who have their own unique individual stories and the more of them you read the more you realize like wait a minute that guy's that guy's brother i just didn't know that before okay or or this dude grew up in the household of this legendary criminal from the 70s who we know he's dead but we don't know why and it, the pieces sort of fall together. There's like a bigger tapestry to it. It's not a puzzle you have to solve, but the more yeah. of it you read, the more you kind of realize like, wait a minute, all of these people are somehow connected in some way. It's pretty okay. interesting in that respect. So you have, so great illustrators happen to have good stories, but do you have other comics that have better stories? Um, yeah, like better stories. And... You do like a top three story comic that, that you love or follow? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, man, I'll just go with like my favorite one. You already named it earlier. Um, there's G.I. Joe. And, uh, you know, that started as a comic back in like, I think, 84. And it's traded hands with different companies that have published it from time to time over the years. But um, right now, as we speak, the comic that's coming out from IDW is being written by Larry Hama, who created 
the comic back in the eighties. Um, oh wow! It's still and it's the same continuity. That's cool. It's super amazing. We're we're really close to hitting three hundred issues on it. It ended originally at one hundred and fifty five issues. So wow. he's um, very old. Hold on, he forgets great. things. Break. break the movie snake eyes do you have any hope for that at all i have really mixed feelings about it okay okay um, Mark, back to you. You, can, you can you can extrapolate on the comic or the movie whatever you want man okay well um I'll, how about both uh, okay, i'll try and you. keep it short because i could talk about this for two hours but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry so um well there's a big shift that's happening right now um so I'll talk about like what I see is different about the movie and the comic. And then I guess I'll talk about like what I would have liked to seen, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this movie's coming out and it's basically a reboot of the movies from before. And it's making the same mistakes as the movies from before. Uh, so it's not treading, it's not treading, um, uh, it's not treading like new mistakes. It's kind of just making the same old mistakes that the other one did. Um, so when you have the character Snake Eyes, um, he has a really, really deep character in the comics and a very established back history. And that history involves um, like a brotherhood between him and a few other characters, because like Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow and Stalker, uh, along with three other men, were part of a long range recon patrol in Vietnam. Right. And right. they, uh, you know, they covered each other's backs. They took bullets for each other. Three of them died on the way out. and um it's just this huge tragic part of their lives and um i understand like i agree that you can't really make a modern film and say well this guy was in vietnam but now he's this like badass in 2021 uh, you know that's that's a reasonable argument but you could have like a war in there so you get the that back history yeah, um, yeah. you know and even in the comics larry hama stopped calling it vietnam you know, a handful of years ago, I think five years ago, he started just writing Southeast Asia. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's something else. Um, so, you know, you're losing that with that movie. Um, and then the other thing is like Snake Eyes, to me, he's not, like he's ninja trained, but he's a commando. He's like a military commando who was, he was a soldier for the US military fighting against communism before he was trained as a ninja and that's like so the ninja part of him is like a quarter of his personality and this movie oh. seems to just be like only just that small chunk of of his personality I so that kind know. of bothers me yeah okay yeah like storm shadow was a ninja first okay okay because it's his family that that snake eyes trains with so, so but, you'll um, fit but you're not going to expect the best rendition. Well, I mean, it looks like the fast and the furious. Like it looks like yeah. a explosive poppy action film. And I don't really go to those. Okay. You know, I love politics and stuff, you know, and I watch movies that are like slower, more like pot boily crime type things. I, I'm not usually watching the big explosive and, and light show type um action epics so it's not appealing to me um sure, and yeah. then i also i also have this like i don't want to say fear because i know it's just a knowledge like i'm i'm the kind of guy who is going to go into it and sit in the theater and be judging it well they yeah. did this wrong, well, they did that wrong. 
well, yeah. this isn't right. Well, they did that nicely. Oh, maybe that's cool, you know. Um, some <laughs> of the characters look spectacular. I speak highly about it. Like, I think their Baroness looks amazing. I yeah. think their Snake yeah. Eyes costume looks good. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. I think that, uh, I think Scarlet looks great. Um, you know, there's there's little elements of it that look really, really good. And, um, you know, it looks like maybe Cobras already exists in this or something. So that's fine. Um, then, uh, you know, the, and the other big thing for me is like um, when I was young and growing up, we had the Gulf War going on. You know, I'm like 12 years old and the Gulf War is going on. And I had a whole wall of newspaper clippings and maps with like pins in it and was tracking the war. And at the same time that I was tracking the real Gulf War of the early 90s, um, the Joes in the comic were also in the Gulf War and they took a oh, lot of fatalities yeah. and it was like really immersive. Um, it's probably those events are probably part of the reason that I'm so hooked on it. Um, and now I look at it and I'm looking at this movie and I'm thinking, well, I'm not even sure that's, that the G.I. Joe team is an American military force. I don't see anything in it that suggests that it has anything to do with like an American military or service and like patriotism and um you know like valor and sacrifice and all of those things that i associate with like military stories and the joe team because when i think of the joe team i think of like heroism and bravery and sacrificing for your brotherhood and that kind of thing the red Ow. white and blue stripes going across joe like come on now i agree with you that i never thought about it like that but yeah that makes a ton of sense well and they can't do that from a PR point of view, because they'll offend some communists in, in another country or something. But but Larry Hama was a Vietnam vet wow. who fought against communists in Vietnam, and then his characters in his comic did too. Wow. And, you know, so now you'll have, like, an American communist say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're making changes in this movie just to please... Larry Hama, and it's kind of like, well, you don't, you don't know anything about him. You're just making that up. You know, it's weird. It's a weird wow. thing. How it's a lot of, there's a lot of infighting in the forum boards. I love that. I love the layers that you have, though. This is, I love talking to competent people that can just peel back the layers and show the truth and just break it all down. I love that, man. That's really cool. That's kind of you to say. Okay. Well, hey, uh, you, you got a third favorite story? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I say strangers in paradise. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of coming out again a little bit now. It's been a long time. Um, it's sort of a nostalgic pick, but, um, yeah, strangers in paradise was a comic that I like, kind of cut my teeth on when I was super young. Um, it is an independent comic that was produced under the banner of abstract studios and it's written and drawn by the same man, Terry Moore. And, okay. um, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think I started reading it when I was like 13 or something. And it really like blew my mind and transformed my idea of like what entertainment and comics could be about. So it was this, uh, it was a love triangle and it was a soap opera. It was a big soap opera. And um, so it was the kind of comic that maybe existed in the 50s for a little while, but like a lot deeper and more realistic and modern. And, um, you know, so like David loved Kachu and Kachu loved Francine. Um, you know, but Francine wanted like Freddie and Freddie was a dick, you know, <laughs> and all of this like sort of complicated mishmash of like nobody was really pairing up the way they were supposed to pair up. And and um, there were a lot of 
um, consistently like broken hearts and misunderstandings all the time. And Terry Moore's art was, uh, would go back and forth between being um, a little bit upbeat and energetic and kind of comedic. And then sometimes he would like sort of slow it down and give you these long, slow, somber moments. Like um, there, gosh, there was an issue right at the beginning where Kachu gets a phone call and she just like drops what she's doing and disappears for a little while and goes and visits a friend of hers and is a friend who's dying. And um, she just, there's a whole issue where she's just like sitting next to her friend who's in the hospital bed. And, wow. um, you know, so these, you have these tender, sweet moments and all of this. And um, I'm actually missing out a whole run of it. It went for a very long time. I'm missing like three issues out of the middle of it because I got, angry at terry moore and i stormed away and i didn't come back <laughs> until later wow. um, and uh it so uh those are kind of like my grails i think okay okay uh, i don't i don't think they're hard to find i could probably just find them on ebay but i like to i prefer to hunt in person when i go to comic conventions or if i'm in a new town i like to go through back issues so i have a little list of key issues i need because um i like the hunt more than uh just the fulfillment i think Okay, right on. All right, I got I got to ask. Uh, okay, or I should say, rank the Rick and Morty, Star Trek, Star Wars. Okay, this is easy. All right, let's this hear. Is, it. I want to hear no, why then, if it's so easy. No contest. Um, okay, so Star Wars, Star Trek, Rick and Morty. Oh wow! I. Okay. Wow. Why? Um, okay. I got to cross off Rick and Morty from the list because I've never seen it. Oh. Okay. So that, that one's just disqualified. Okay. I respect I did, that. I did see Pickle Rick. Okay. It's, I looked it up. I was like, what's Rick and Morty about? And I was like, oh, I've seen Pickle Rick. I'll look that up. So I watched that episode. It's a fun It's a fun show. It seems really smart. It's fun. It, it, I mean, it's not dumb. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, Star Wars and Star Trek, they're different beasts, you know, um, ranking them is kind of weird, but, uh, I like the, um, sort of like bigger epic, um, legend and myth kind of feel to things. I really like Star Trek a lot. I think Star Trek is super interesting. Um, but I, you know, I've seen some of the series I've seen like nearly all the way through and other ones barely at all. Um, I just a few years ago dipped my toes into the original series because I'd never seen it. And I watched uh, like, I think a season and a half of it for a client piece because I was commissioned to do a, a original cast um, illustration. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so I like when it comes to Star Trek, what I get out of it is um, each episode to me is just in and of itself, like enjoyable. Yeah, but I don't really feel the need to have maps and understand the history and what came first and how this space race is connected to this one or whatever in the same way that I do with Star Wars. And I don't know why that is, but um, Star Trek to me is more of like um, it's more of like an intellectual thing where it's just sort of like, give me a scenario. Let's walk through it together. And by the end of it, it like the moral has been found and it's sort of tied up. So it's kind of this fun episodic thing. Yeah, okay, like, I agree with that. For Star Wars, I like that it's um, this grand, huge epic with, you know, you can get lost in the maps, you can get lost in the history and the timeline, and um, and there's parts of it that maybe you're not entirely supposed to understand, but they keep filling in p- bits of the timeline. I just watched Bad Batch this week, um, you know, and 
um, even there was stuff in there. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm seeing something new that I had never seen before. Like we get to see the creation of essentially like the all white stormtrooper, which we never, like that's the first time in the t- timeline. And there's still the clone outfit, but all the clones in the cartoon have always had colors and like um, unit insignias. And now they're all white, like stormtroopers. And the only thing left is they just have to tweak the helmet a little bit and they'll be stormtroopers now. Okay. Right on. I like, uh, I, I haven't seen Bad Batch, but I, I do, uh, I haven't finished Man- Mandalorian, but it is a really well-made show. So there, I mean, and there's so much lore within, in the timeline so huge that, yeah, it, Disney's going to be printing money off of Star Wars for a long time, but it's, I mean, they're not, they're not taking it for granted. They, they are pumping out quality stuff. Did you know that I made a religious tract about Star Wars? Um, no, let's hear about it. Uh, it's called, um, is the dark side real or is everybody just an asshole? <laughs> and it's in the, it's, it's in the format of one of those little like, um, pocket religious tracks that somebody might walk up to you on a sidewalk and say, excuse me, brother, have you heard the good news? <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Let's um, do it. Let's it's yeah. It's all about my understanding of the force because i thought about the force for a really long time and some of it's my own personal like spiritual and philosophical things put into it and interpreting what the force is supposed to be but um i i found how it evolved is because i was on a lot of star wars forum boards for a period of time after disney sort of brought it back and started making the new trilogy and it was like two years where i just couldn't get off those forum boards and what i realized was that like i don't want to pick up millennials but millennials don't know star wars like, they don't understand the Force. They grew up on the video games, not the movies in some cases. Oh, wow. And um, a lot of them had, like, a video game understanding of the Force and not, like, the like the Yoda spiritual understanding of the Force. And so I found myself constantly, and I hate to be that guy, but I, I really was, who was explaining, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. Let me explain this to you like I was preaching to somebody. Um, and I kind of was. And so after so many months of doing that and just realizing like these people just need like something to follow that gives them shows them the light of the force you know um (laughs) i started sort of taking the concepts that i put together and i developed into this whole like little booklet and um it's actually been a really good seller and stuff don't tell disney but um i'd love to it's occurred to me in the past that i should go to walt disney and um explain to them how the force works and tell them that they ought to have me on staff to make sure that I'm overseeing their productions and, and that they're, they're getting it right. It's consistent. That'd be cool. I might know the right people. I know people in Hollywood. I could maybe make some phone calls. Hey, I would not be with your work ethic. I, nothing would surprise me. Yeah. So there, there's that. That's the kind of a thing that I've done. I also have another concept. I don't know how in depth I want to do about it, but I like the um, Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah, yeah, but it's well it, made and it's canon too, which is real cool. Yeah, it's difficult to understand. And the thing is, is like, yeah, I don't think you're necessarily supposed to look at it as like the uh, like real history, like the American Civil War. You could sit down with maps and like a timeline and understand how these troops moved here and then these squadrons moved over here and everything. Yeah. Clone Wars cartoons a little looser than that, you know. Uh, they'll be like this famous battle or whatever but you know it's a little loosey-goosey it's not really supposed to be interpreted that way but i want to interpret it that way and i want to get paid to do that so if anyone from disney's uh listening uh you know i'm sorry for uh writing uh is the dark side real or is everybody just an asshole but um i think you should hire me to contextualize and build a large 
um, hardcover book with fold-out maps of the Clone Wars and how all of it went from a historical point of view. Well, and they wouldn't be this one. There's that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk politics and convince them on why they should be there. You. <laughs> he he's not woke, so you know, if you're communist or trying to woo China. <laughs> oh, sorry. Should I not have said that? It's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the reasons why you and I clicked was because we both kind of identified with the libertarian perspective, like socially liberal, fiscally conservative, you know, you know, legalization of drugs, uh, you know, more efficient tax spending. But, you know, as we've both gotten older, I think at least I have kind of accepted that law of Murphy's law or corruption deepest to the core. Absolute power leads to absolute corruption or whatever the saying is. So I don't know how much hope I have for government anymore these days, but uh, what what is your take right now on the on the political landscape? Oh, it's funny that you just said that the same week that the president of the United States said, um, "If you don't like us, then shut up, or we'll nuke you or shoot you with an F-15." So, I, I, I missed that. So he he said, "Go ahead and get guns, or don't get guns, because we'll just nuke you." Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what he said. He was on a stage and he was asked a question and and he couldn't articulate what he was trying to say. And uh, he said, uh, you know, the whole thing about uh, standing up to your government or uh, trying to uh, uh, protect yourself from the government is that uh, you you need F-15s or maybe some nuclear weapons if you want to have a chance, which is a pretty threatening thing for a president of the United States to say. That's a first for threatening his own uh citizenship or citizenry well you'd have heard about it if the media didn't like him they would oh, be yeah, talking about that. yeah what if trump said that he would have been out of office already yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh, i mean the uh the double standard is insane oh well i mean we that's kind of been known for a while i don't know i mean we kind of have to tolerate it because we can't do anything about it but uh, what, where do you, where do you draw the line? Uh, I don't know if I understand the question. I don't know if I understand the question either. Like what, what, do, I mean, what, 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 or let's change the question. What would you do about it? What would, would Trump really have been a better option or is it just we're fucked regardless or, or what, what's, I mean, are they, is he, is Biden really that maniacal or is he just, is it, is it a money grab? Like what, what's going on? Well, I mean. A big problem with the politics of the current era, and it's probably gone back a very long time, is is that um, you have so much corruption on both sides of the aisle that um, you can you have a majority of the voters who um, either they like the candidate or they don't like the candidate, but they already know which way they're going to vote because they think that like what they're going to vote for is going to be the better option, and um, but behind it all, like those people, they all hate you. They work together. They they fundraise together. They they have um, expensive meals from lobbyists together. Um, now there may be some major differences between what one party or the other would do as far as action moving forward. But there is kind of this inevitable holisticness about it, where one of them moves forward a certain set of um 
goalposts and then it's the other team's turn and they move forward a certain set of goalposts and sometimes those things conflict but generally speaking they're all sort of moving the same direction so what trump was was trump was somehow he was a wrench that got thrown in it and it fucked it all up and um i think that was good i think that um people on both sides of the aisle equally hated him um especially the people who were part of the machine anyone in the media anyone in the lobbies uh anyone in the corporations um you know the only people who liked trump were voters yeah um, people who the felt least like important they were <laughs> yes the least important people um everybody else hated him he, everyone was out to destroy him and he you know because he stood up for the little guy and he really did i mean the guy went into office he left office with like uh he lost like 20 percent of his wealth while he was in office um not because he was donating his presidential salary which he was but that was peanuts compared to what he was doing but because he wasn't managing his businesses and he was fine with that he walked away from his businesses to be the president and focus on that and so he actually lost like a significant amount of his wealth and he never complained about it. He was fine with it. It was part of being the president was like, now I'm doing this thing over here, you know, and you have these weird situations where like they had um, the VA hospitals were failing. They, They weren't like financially solvent and they weren't helping veterans. And so he put, um, I'm going to forget the name of the guy, but the, the CEO of Marvel, comics he put in charge of that because the guy was a, like a well-established business ceo um oh, yeah. Yeah. pearl mutter i believe and um dude turned the va around like there's nobody in the world who should be able to say that sucked because now the va works and it wasn't before but instead people attack ike Perlmutter and want to have him completely canceled and homeless and out on the street because he knows Trump. It's so weird. Like it's such a weird disconnect between what are we trying to do and what are we trying to tell people? Yeah, like, I agree with you. It's not about the policies. Cause I mean, it, it, I, I, you have to admit Trump's a total fucking douchebag, jack off asshole, but in the contrary or, or, or instead of Biden or, uh, Hillary, I mean, his policies are way better. And I mean, and who can really argue that except for people that drank the Kool-Aid? Yeah. And they usually they can't articulate why. Um, I lost a lot of friends in 2020 uh, because I started kind of trying to say, like, you have this insane, irrational hatred of this person. But I'm going to need you to start actually articulating to me why that is. And then they would say, well, he said this. And they give me an example. And I would say, can you prove that? Because I can prove through video clips that he didn't say that. And I would give them the opposing, um, it wasn't an opposing view. It was like the video of what happened. I would show them, here's the news clips that you heard or some version of it that said that he said that. And there'd be, you know, like playlists of 30 minutes of reporters saying, well, Trump said this and what a racist, you know, and then you play the clip that they derived it from. And it's not what they said. Uh, you know, you could do that over and over again. And the more of times that I would show people this, the more friends I would lose. 
which is fine because I need critical thinkers in my life. I don't need people who are emotional and who follow what the corporate media tells them to do. They're just, they're, they're worshiping at the feet of the corporations. It's exactly the, the opposite of what they think they're doing. Everyone fucked up. Cause it's like, people might want to agree with you, but then they feel like because of social media, someone's going to see that and they're going to get canceled or lose their job. Or it's just, it's gotten so crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, I think that you're exactly right, but I think that time is over. I, I think after, uh, you know, like early 2021, now we're in a time period where people are like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And and we're watching the government get so incredibly threatening and oppressive towards people. We're kind of back in the latter days of the Obama administration where we had a presidency who was, um, you know, essentially weaponizing all of the different departments and bureaus of the government against people specifically for their religion or for their political point of view. And then Trump got hired and turned that around and stopped that. But the people who were in those agencies that were happy with being able to be used as a tool or a weapon of oppression were all the people who were trying to like destroy Trump. And now we're back in a situation where that that kind of political oppression can happen again. And um, all those people have been hired back into their spots. A lot of them are the same people. I mean, I don't know why the media hate Trump. He made the media so much fucking money those four years. Yeah. I think everyone recognizes that now too. It's fucking stupid. How, uh, how deep into QAnon did you go or, or did you avoid it like the plague? Oh, I avoided that really well. Um, I, uh, I do have, um, I do have a pretty good understanding of what it's all about, like what they think. Um, there was a point at which, you know, we had that weird situation in like between the and the installation of Biden, we had like this weird, tense, mesmerizing, like four months of a lot of confusion and stuff going on. And there were definitely people in my life who were getting into the Q stuff, but um that wasn't something that I ever really delved into. Um, there was like a week or two where I really started like trying to figure out what it, what it was that they were talking about. Like, what is this whole thing about? Yeah. And, um, so I, I feel like I understand it really well. Um, I think it's, I think it was from the outset, I think it was an intelligence operation. I think that it was intentionally meant to distract people and confuse people. Interesting. Um, uh, there is something similar. I'm not going to be able to remember the exact term, but um, I could probably search it while we're talking. Um, this has happened before. Q has happened before. Uh, it happened in Russia when the communists were taking power. <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's the whole, like, trust the plan. Just wait. Everything's fine. You don't have to be worried. We got this. Everything's going to be okay. That's kind of what Q is. Is like it's this pacifying, sing-songy lullaby of like, don't worry, everything looks really bad, but secretly behind the scenes, there's this whole, you know, there are other people who believe that the country should be preserved, and they're fighting for you, man. So you don't have to do anything or say everything's gonna be okay. So it's like pacifying you know, people. Trump knows what's going on, man. <laughs> yeah, He's gonna fight you know. Fight. And I think he's telling the truth when he goes up on stage and people ask him about Q and he says, uh, I don't I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, he's too busy on Twitter. And at least he was, you know, 
Alex Jones yeah. was a lot about Epstein Island and, and all that crap way back in the day. But I think that's as that really wasn't even QAnon. They just happened to talk about it. Yeah. Do you, do you buy that Gates is divorced now because of uh, Epstein or is it just he's just a nerd and Moneyland is done with him? Um, I'm not sure. Can you repeat the question? I don't know if it, you don't have to, but I was talking about QAnon and Epstein, but now I was bringing in Bill Gates and his divorce. Do you, do you think Epstein and Bill Gates uh, have any dirty history? Oh yeah. That's a great question. Um, well, we know that like the flight records are out there um, for uh, Epstein's plane, the uh, Lolita express. Um, and Gusting, Gates, by the way. Gates was a part of that. You know, so like Gates was definitely a participant in it. I think he'd been to the Manhattan apartment a few times and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I can't say for sure if like the divorce is connected to all that. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Gates just made a killing over everything that happened in the last year. Um, yeah. With all the, the vaccine production and everything like that. And, um, uh, you know, so it could be that this is just a way to like hide funds because, you know, if you have a divorce and you're a multi-billionaire, you've got a lot of ways to move stuff oh, around, oh. And, you know, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. So it could be just that, like, you know, we don't know what the guy's worth, really. Um, I mean, Forbes will give you a number, but after 2020 and 2021, I mean, he could have doubled in value. Who knows? How um, weird was it that Bezos and Gates stepped down right before COVID? Yeah, there's a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Not to bring um, conspiracies on you, but it's just crazy. So I looked up the I looked up the counterintelligence operation from uh, the Bolshevik re- Revolution that I was looking for. Uh, if you want to write it down, it was called Operation Trust. Okay, and it was run. F- from according to this 1921 to 1926 it says uh operation trust was a bolshevik counterintelligence operation run from 21 to 26 aimed at neutralizing opposition by creating the false impression that a powerful group of military leaders had organized to stop the communist takeover wow (laughs) wow history repeating itself that's crazy man yeah, so it's it's you kind of pacify the people who believe that their country should be preserved until the knife is at their throat. Okay. All right. Last conspiracy. My buddy Kyle uh, just shared this with me. That that condo that collapsed in uh, Miami uh, was M- John McAfee's condo. He had an, a a condo there, and about a year ago or whatever it was on Twitter, said, "If I die, I have." 32 terabytes of incriminating evidence at this address. And the day he died is the day that that condo went down. Oh, okay. So um, I can't speak to that, but I did read about the um, like kill switch that he had for releasing information. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's on, so, the, it's on the blockchain now. Yeah. Well, and you know, he had that tattoo on his arm, right? Yeah. The, oh, it's whacked or swacked. Whacked, or whatever. Yeah, like hashtag whacked. It's crazy. Says, I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not suicidal. If it looks like I killed myself, I was whacked. Hashtag whacked. And he had like a photograph. He got a tattoo on his arm so people wouldn't forget. Um, and wow. uh, 
So I just looked this up. I don't know anything about the condominium collapse. You, you're the first person I'm hearing about it from, but it looks like uh, it was like a hundred people are freaking missing. So they're trying to dig it all out. Yeah. It, June it, it, 24th. Absolutely disintegrated. I don't, I, there was no structural rigidity in there at all. I don't know if it was a collapse or a demolition, half demolition. I, I don't know, but it's just, I thought it was just old an old building. And now all this other crap's coming on. And now I don't know what to think. Uh, you know, isn't that a funny coincidence? So did he own this place? Uh, I don't think so. I think it was just, he just had a condo there. Oh, okay. So, I mean, dude, maybe it's a coincidence, Kelly. Maybe it's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, like, nudge, nudge, let's keep our jobs and not get canceled, right? <laughs> there was a building that was, there was a building that was hit by a rocket, um, during the counting of the ballots and it was a receptacle it was like a repository of servers for the election, you know. Like, My God, this stuff happens all the time. <laughs> all right, all right. We don't. You, you, I don't. We don't have to go down the conspiracy road. I just thought those were interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of powerful people in the world right now. I, th I think honestly, I think Trump is spending as much time at Mar-a-Lago as he is because he's got his own security there. Interesting. Wow. All right. Here's a question for you. What's what's worse or what's better? Too much regulation or unregulated capitalism? Too much regulation or unregulated capital capitalism. Um, well, I don't think we've ever had capitalism. Like capitalism's never been fully tried in this country. Um so I know people like to say that about like, well, communism's never actually been given a shot, but capitalism <laughs> has either. Um because it's always been stopped from the outset and there's always been cronyism so i think the problem is crony capitalism um i don't think that capitalism can be a problem in the absence of a large government um, when you have a large government and you have capitalism what happens is you get lobbyists you get favors um, you get preferential treatment in laws um, you know, the corporations start to have a lot of weight. So like the goal for anyone who believes in a smaller government is to end up in a situation where like the government doesn't have that much power in the first place. If there's the government doesn't wield that much power, then the corporations don't get to wield that power either. And so Are they the power? they're the ones with all the money. Um. Did you say, I want to make sure I understood you right. Did you say, aren't they the ones with the power because they have all the money? Right. Well, they don't have all the money. They got to spend money on stuff too. Um, you know, what, what's a problem is when they're getting money from the government, tax money, kickbacks, you know, a, a lot of the big corporations, like the biggest corporations in the world right now, they're getting money from the government for something or other. Um, yeah, it's crazy that Amazon hasn't paid any taxes, man. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, I don't know the details behind that. You know, I've heard a lot of different things about it, and I've read the headlines, um, but I can't really speak to the details of it. Um, I'm not entirely certain that they don't pay taxes, but um, I've definitely read those headlines, too. Do you like the idea of, like, a flat tax? Uh, I used to a lot. I, I don't have a... I don't have any thoughts about the flat tax now, but I used to be super into the flat tax. So um, like the idea with the flat tax is that everybody pays the same percentage, right? So like everybody would pay 
20% across the board or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that basically sounds reasonable. I think you'd still end up in a situation where like the very poorest people wouldn't need to pay, but we're already at that situation right now. Like the, the rich people already pay most of the taxes. Um, if you switch to a flat tax, essentially you'd be relieving the tax burden on some of the bigger people and um, increasing it on some of the lower people. But um, so I'd be kind of in favor of like some of the lower tax brackets still getting a, uh, a freedom uh, of the cut, like having to deal with it so much. But um, uh, I think that'd be fine. But at the same time, that would have to go along with the whole point of view of like you don't have lobbyists, you don't have all the government kickbacks, you don't have all the taxes going into the big corporations. I'm not a big fan of big corporations. I'm a fan of a lot of little corporations all over the place. Interesting. Yeah, and with less regulation, maybe they could do their do their business without being kicked out with all these new rules and regulations. And yeah, I'm a corporation. Yeah, because like a corporation can literally be one person, you know. But like here on the on the other side of the of the coin, you know, who repairs the pipes in in Flint, Michigan? You know, who who helps with healthcare? You know, who get who repairs the roads? That you know, like. Is it, is it government? Is, is that all they do? Like with completely unregulated capitalism, like how does it actually work? Is there a country that is unregulated? You know, is there an example? I don't, I really don't know. I don't know that there is an example. I mean, I feel like we're getting into Atlas shrug territory where you've got the mythical country where they all go to, um, right. you know, it, that's something to work towards those, you know, the idea of being a free person, having individual rights and people being equal. Um, you know, I think everybody was born equal and should have, you know, the right, the, the same opportunities as everybody else um, insofar as they're willing to work for it. Um, you know, but it takes focus and it takes clarity and understanding to get to those places. And I don't think that education's as big of a deal as it is because I think you can get a solid education using youtube and reading books yeah. i think you there's tons of rags to riches stories of people who didn't get college degrees and became millionaires or what have you you know happens all the time um and and they're from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds but um we've got this weird system now where the schools are being used to vet people and essentially like the schools, which are leftist run, like there's no conservatives running schools at all. They're all leftist run. Right. Um, it's a whole leftist run st structure. The conservatives have been run out of it. Um, it's reinforcing um, a class structure that doesn't need to exist. And this is America. Like communism should have no place to even be spoken about here, except in you know the theoretical th thoughts of of um, societies that have gone away and fallen through before and failed. Um, and because America is a place where not only can anyone move from one class to another class just by changing the way that they handle business or live their life and like changing their habits, but um, uh, you know, now the schools are actually kind of, creating and reinforcing a class structure that didn't exist before because um, you might not learn anything at that school but 
you have to have the piece of paper that says you went to it in order to advance up to um, you know, certain positions. And now that you have the Marxist influence really taking hold in the last five years in a way that we've never seen before, yeah. now what you've got is people who haven't been taught how to create a system, like we'll call it the corporation, that's functional and profitable, um, but which instead is working solely on like the basis of resentment. And when you build anything on resentment and hatred and the idea of destruction, about it like that. You're like the, the fruit of your works is going to show eventually. And, and we're seeing it now. I mean, people are flooding out of cities. Um, they're flooding into the country as fast as they can. And, um, you know, cities were on fire for four months last year. And now the media is kind of pretending like it never happened and you're supposed to forget about it. And it's, this is all connected. This is there's a spiritual sickness that's going on in the society where, um, instead of working on healing and um, restoration and recovery um, on an individual basis, people are being encouraged and taught and schooled, and it's becoming a religion about on the the basis of resentment and anger and hostility and destruction. And you can't yeah. have a society that's built on those foundations that continues to stand. Wow. So you have like one, yeah, you have like one side of the aisle that's going, everything you guys are doing is based on hatred and resentment and racism. And, and it's all about destruction. And none of this is positive. None of it will bear fruit. All of it is going to tear down the society. Well, they know that, you know, the, the thought leaders on the left, they know that because it's meant to tear down the society. That's what they want. So it's, everything is built to be um, non-sustainable. And Are they just trying to get China to buy us out? Um, you know, I hear that a lot. I think uh, no matter who's supposed to be in the grand scheme of the utopia, the global utopia, um, I don't know if China's supposed to be the leader of the global utopia or if China's just supposed to be the model that everybody else follows. Um, I don't know if it really matters. It's kind of more for me about the theology behind it and the religion yeah, behind I, it. I like, I like your perspective. I, like your perspective. Um, I saw that voice. I'm on a I'm on a mailing list of a friend who um, lives in Longmont, Colorado, and uh, I met her at a writer's retreat that I was kind of a manager of um, maybe four or five years ago, and um, uh, she she's a poet. Uh, she's a pretty talented poet. I got one of her books and everything. And um, she's a school teacher up there. And she puts out a new poem every week. She's very, very, very far left. And I'm on her mailing list. And I kind of appreciate getting her poem every week. But they also baffle me. Like, there was one about a month ago. And it was sort of about what we were just talking about. She, in the poem, she couldn't sleep at night. She was up all night long. And she was stressing out because she was confused of something. She was having a crisis of conscience and her crisis of conscience was over. She's recognizing that everything that she believes in is all about destruction. And none of it is about building. <laughs> and, and she's having this crisis in her poem up in the middle of the night about, wait, once the destruction is complete, how do we rebuild using these tools 
<laughs> so she's like waking up to it and it comes out in the form of the poem. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I, I think I'm starting to see that a little bit, little hints of it here and there with other people too, where they're kind of going like, wait a minute. Like this is maybe not great, you know, but wow. Well, that bus is moving. To look at it though. I never thought about that. Uh, props to you, man. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that from you if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, what, what do you think about these crypto? I think a, cur- a currency should be used or, or created. Man, that's a deep subject right there. Yeah, um, you, I don't know how much time you got. I, I only got, you know, I got a couple more questions. I don't know. How, how are you doing on time? Yeah, no, I'm great. Okay, all right. Um, Thanks for doing so, this. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I've been a little bit involved in crypto. Not very deep, uh, but I've bought and sold some crypto and stuff. Um, so uh, I don't know if I have a, a deeply held opinion about it. I think it's a positive. So, so you don't think it should be banned or controlled or gone down to no. one legal Doge camp, Dogecoin should be, you know, USA approved and everything else should be put out of business or, or anything like that? No, I'm a, I mean, so as far as the currency itself goes, um, I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone listening to this that I'm a big fan of doing away with fiat currencies um there you know something happened when we got the federal reserve which is that we switched from um money as a as a form of transaction between people which was backed up by something solid it was real you know if you had a coin in your pocket your coin was more or less worth whatever the metal was you know so it had value if you had a a box of coins it was actual wealth um if you had a bill that bill would say on it uh, you know this the bearer of this certificate is the owner of this many units of currency worth of gold and i've even got one of those in the other room i just found it the other day i've got a five dollar bill that still says that on it. it's really outdated that's, um, that's... you know so everything had value and the purpose for that is because you know, before currency and coins existed in the hunter-gatherer days, you know, you maybe were really good at fishing and you could gather, you know, a hundred fish a day, but maybe you really wanted or really needed like some bison meat. And that guy who had the bison meat, he could bring in, you know, one bison per week or whatever and process that, but he needed some fish for his diet. You know, so you could trade back and forth. But then what would happen if you already had all the bison that you needed and he needed fish? You know, there's no transaction that can happen there. So you start to have these intermediary things, you know, currencies that we can hand back and forth. It says, well, like, this is worth this much of my labor. This is my labor. And it's we can tell that it's wor- that's what my labor is worth because this piece of paper is actually worth this much of a precious metal. So like your labor as a human being has value. Your time has value. We, we're humans on this earth and our only goal is to make positive choices and to learn how to make better positive choices as we grow older. And so um, being able to store our labor in some format is very important because 
you know, when we're young, we're able to work harder. And if we can keep our labor for our own life, then um, it's a motivational tool. So the entire society does better because more people are involving themselves in taking care of themselves. Um, But you also have um, the ability to bring yourself up and level yourself up. And then if we're in the kind of country that America should have been and could have be still like there's still a positive view we can still turn america into the unfettered capitalism without the corporations and get back to a, a financially backed dollar like a, a tangibly backed dollar then you can we could still create that world where you know everybody is free then you're free and if you don't want to do a lot of things you don't have to do a lot of things you just have to do enough to live you know and uh if you want to do more then that's fine you can move yourself up in the scale of of whatever hierarchy exists but um you know not having that um not having that tangible currency uh by which i mean instead having what we call the fiat currency where it's not based on something it's based on the regulations of an unelected body the fed you have a situation where like you might go and work and put in and get your hundred fish, but um, not only are you giving away 30 of those hundred fish to the other villagers who maybe didn't go out and fish for themselves. Now they're just taking your fish. That's the taxes, but also like the remaining 70 fish that you took um, because we're talking in terms pumping of fish into the lake, basically. Yeah, because we're, t- um, I guess my, my metaphor is falling apart because I'm actually working with real tangibles with fish. But let's say, you know, that's basically what it is because it's not real tangibles like fish. It's an abstract. It's numbers being controlled by an unelected board. Then you're, you're 70 fish. You might wake up the next day and you've only got 60 fish. And it's kind of like, wait, those didn't even go to the other people. Like, I'm not even or, supporting or the other 70 people. fish were easier to get because they're they're giving away free fish or, you know, however the fuck it works out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's a problem. So I guess yeah, so the, the, the so now crypto, is, does that present the same problem or do you think that's the re- the reverse? Like crypto is getting more valuable, so it's actually better or it, that's just a completely unregulated problem that you're not willing to gamble in? Well, now my understanding of crypto on a simple, like uh, in a simple framework is that um, crypto is currently printing money because they're uh, they're mining more coins, digital coins, um, but that that every crypto has a finite amount, and so there will come a point at which there are no more, and so the inflation on them won't continue. It will just stop where it's at, and then at that point, it'll only go up in value because it's worth more. So. Um, I think that what you have with crypto, even though it's this weird, intangible sort of a thing, I think that you've got to return to a non-fiat, um, like rooted value system. As long um, as everyone buys in, that it that it's it's worth something. Yeah, yeah. So in the from the abstract point of view, yes, yeah. I think it's like a return to that, and I think that there are probably really. It'd be my guess that there's no governments in the world that like that because they like to be able to control their currencies and you have the digital currencies. They can't control those, which makes people like us, the voters, more free. 
Um, well, I'm so, not against it, but my thought is, you know, you have one Bitcoin, but now there's Dogecoin and there's Ethereum and there's whatever. And then the next one. So now is my bit, even though Bitcoin hasn't changed, but now there's all these other ones. Does that make my Bitcoin worth less because all these other people want to get in on the crypto game? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't invested, but I'm not against it, but I'm definitely watching you know, other people, you know, try it out. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like it's not working, you know, it seems like, you know, it seems like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I remember going really in depth on, on uh, currency because it really is the backbone of, of our country, but I don't know if you got anything else to add on to that. Um, no, I don't think so. Hey, can we take a quick pause real quick? Yeah, man. All right, I appreciate it. I appreciate you doing. I was uh, been going down the list. You're just so good at conversation that I just keep talking. Oh, thanks, man. Talking too much. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. We're good content. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm gonna take a quick like breath and then uh, like just pick up topically where we were at. Yeah. Uh. Well, we we finished up cryptos, so. I don't know. I, all I had written down after this was like Yang, Bernie, Trump, dark horse for next election, and then like drugs. I don't know if you want to add in anything else other than that. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the future as far as elections go. I mean, Trump's doing um, like spirit rallies again all over the country, and they seem to be really heavily attended right now um i don't know if he's gonna run at his age i part of me really thinks that he ought to um but uh you know i'm i'm not sure he might just um gin up two and a half years worth of enthusiasm and then transfer it onto a different candidate i think that's entirely possible um he's got uh uh he's got like a lot of charisma and I know he also has that side to him that you were talking about where he's sort of like a, uh, uh, aggressive douchebag. Yeah. But like yeah. he's also super charismatic. Yeah. Um, he he's got the one, two punch going on with that. Yeah. Um, where like if, um, it depends on what effect he wants to have. He's very, he's very smart and people don't think that he is, but he's very smart. Um, and, um, so I think he probably has a plan for what his next goal is. Although I feel like, didn't he very recently, like within the, within the last 10 days, didn't he say he was going to be back in the white house by August of this year? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't keep up on it. I think he said that, which is like uh, that's pretty bold. To say. So like, I, talking about like challenging the election or something like that. Yes, yeah, I think wow. that's what that's as the Arizona recount is turning up some insane truths right now, and <laughs> uh, the media is freaking out about it. But the thing is, the thing with the um, the Arizona recounts is that it's so transparent. It's the exact opposite of what the ballot counting that we had where people were being thrown out of buildings and, and, uh, 
banned from being there, being able to to watch it, and cardboard being put up over the windows, and voting being wow. stopped, and then continuing secretly after everybody had left, and like fake floods. Oh, it's flooded. We have to stop. And then it turns out there wasn't a flood, and you know there there was so much of this hijinks going on. And then when you watch what's going on with the recounts right now, I kind of think there needs to be a move to like have everywhere count the same way that they're doing this because everybody has their own place they're supposed to be in and they're all color coded by shirts. So super obvious if a green shirt's in with the orange shirts or whatever, um, you know, there's super high security, but there's also nonstop cameras from all these different angles. And so um, I think the trust factor is a lot higher. Um, Wow. perception looks a lot better it's it's a lot more open to scrutiny um and it's inviting of scrutiny and um i think that this is a good model i think they hit on it and now you've got all the other battleground states and even states that weren't battleground states who are coming and sending representatives to observe what the Uh, system is that they're using in arizona and so now there are a bunch of other states not just the battlegrounds but some of the non-battlegrounds that are going to start doing their own recount using the arizona system and i'd like to see that um across the board the thing with elections is we want an election that the entire country seems like it should have been doing that to begin with well yeah but the system's so corrupt you know (laughs) um so there's so much money in politics and the media is involved in it all too. You know, though it can you can have obvious hijinks, and the media will say, "Oh no, this is normal. Everything's great. This is totally secure." You know, and then you have a secure recount going on, and they'll say, "This is a nightmare. This is a disaster." So, um, you you've got some really big problems with um, reliable narrators, and essentially, like with the morality of the people who are involved in the system anyway. And you have the people who, um tend to be more let's just say it man they tend to be more honest and they tend to be harder workers and they tend to be more focused and everything and they don't get involved in politics anymore because they've been driven out and they don't like being called names and they just want to be left alone right you know so that's how we got to where we are and i'm not saying it's all the democratic party because there's plenty of people in the republican party who are part of the same system and part of the same game right Um, right you know so it's pretty ugly. Uh, I don't know how we got to this place. It's just been a slow incremental chipping away at the foundations of, you know, what we're supposed to be. Okay. Um, so does, uh, does UBI chip in anymore? Does it ruin society? Does it take away all uh, motivation or is it something worth considering? Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of different discussion about this. Um, Universal basic so, income for UBI, universal basic income. I think, I mean, my personal, like, first instinct towards it is that it is the sort of thing that will erode um, the ability of the society to take care of itself. And I think it's meant to. I think a lot of what we're seeing is meant to make people dependent and to put people on the plantation so they're under the thumb and controlled and dependent and not able to take care of themselves and kind of not able to think for themselves. Um, you know, and 
I mean, not that educated. You, you have a lot of people who go to university and get bachelor's and master's and then they come out and they're not educated. Yeah. Um, you know, so these are some pretty deep problems. And the, the, I think the biggest difficulty with them is that I feel like so much of it is intentional. It's, it's intentionally trying to burn everything to the ground. Um, there was one project that I was asked to be a part of recently um, within the last 18 months. Uh, I shouldn't say recently, but about a year and a half ago, I was asked to be a part of a project. A client wanted to hire me to make art for them. And um, the client was a professor uh, at the University of Colorado in Boulder, Colorado. And um, what he wanted me to do for him was to make some illustrations and graphics and help lay out some educational books that um, he would use uh, to help change the direction of coursework in the universities. And um, so the class of students that he was targeting were engineering students. And um, Marxism has had a difficult time breaking into the STEM uh, fields, uh, right. science, technology, um, mathematics, engineering, because um, those people who tend to go into those fields tend to be really analytical and sort of mathy, and they're nerds. You know, right. they're not they're not ideologically driven people. Generally right. speaking, they're really really goal oriented and focused on fixing the issue, which is what you want out of an engineer. You want somebody who's going to come to something and say, well, this bridge is going to have this many trucks that drive over it every year. And this is the cumulative weight of those. And these are the materials that we're working with. And this, you know, these are the requirements that we need and they can really get into the gritty math of, you know, manufacturers and what their goods are and, and pick apart every single bolt and nut and square inch of concrete. Right. Um, so what this professor's goal was, was to change that. Um, he wanted me to illustrate a series of educational, um, like magazines that were going to be used to reorient the engineering fields in such a manner that the students were taught that their job is not to take the project and figure out how best to implement um, the mathematics of the situation and, and the fulfillment of the goal, their project, their, their, their goal was to look at the project through the lens of like critical race theory and to determine whether or not on a social justice, which, you know, that's constantly changing, but on like through the lens of a social justice matrix, if they should in fact do the project or just not do the project. And if, <laughs> if they as an engineer determined that they should not do the project, like building a bridge or, you know, engineering a pylon for, for a building, then, then they should take the money, start the project, and then just feed the client false information until the funding falls through what? and just not do the project. And I'm dead serious. This is exactly what he wanted me to illustrate. He wanted to do this whole series of educational materials. And this is the project. And 
uh, I was just kind of blown away. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I went to school for engineering for three years. And <laughs> like, I told him before I started, like I went to school for mechanical engine, engineering for three years. And then I didn't even know how to respond for probably a week. I, wow. And uh, I gave a reminder of a penis. That's supporting the Patreon Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, he wants me to be on time. That supports white supremacy. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you know that's a real thing, right? I know. It's crazy, bro. It's crazy. He knows how to read. He must be racist. Well, and you have people that aren't white who also are obviously well-rooted in reality like we are, and they're going, this is crazy. People on Earth are incompetent people. I I don't get critical race theory. Like, yes, we should all be thinking about the other race, but we should also not be thinking about race at all because we should just be doing our actual shit. Well, I didn't think about race when we grew up, you know, we grew up and I don't know where, where you grew up, but I grew up in a school that was multiracial. It was an urban school and nobody thought about any of that. We all just played together. At a higher goal than what our skin color was. Yeah, we were united. We were united people. Yeah, yeah, we weren't. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, whatever. Uh, anything else you want to add to that? I got I got one question about drugs. Um. Let's see. There, yeah, I got another example if you want to hear it. All right, yeah, let's hear it. It's a little bit different, but uh, um, there was this gal, um, Marianne Williamson. I don't know if you remember her, but back in 2019, when the Democrats had about 35 people running for president in the primary, um, one of them she got very little screen time. She only got to use the mic five or six times, I think, during that whole period of time. But uh, her name is Marianne Williamson. And um, she was like known as Oprah's spiritual advisor. She's really famous. She's kind of a like granola, woo-woo, um, self-help guru. Um, yeah, she's like, uh, she's got this like a uh, positive energy kind of a thing going on for her and all that. Um with that. Um, and so, um, I was asked by a supporter of her campaign. I want to be clear. Like I did do work for the Hillary Clinton campaign specifically, but in this context, I was not doing work for the Marianne Williamson campaign as it were. I was doing work for a supporter, like a local organizer. Um, so just to be clear on that, um, yeah, you're canceled. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, <laughs> but what this, uh, what this client wanted was this um, uh, a poster to aid Marianne Williamson in her um, defeat of like Bernie and and uh, Biden and everybody else in the de- Democratic um, primary. And so it was this um, very occult laden image. And I actually did go through with it. It was the, it was kind of a breaking point for me. Um, it was a really long project with a lot of revisions. And every time I would bring it to the client, they would add more to it until it became this like web of occult 
symbolism and wow. nefarious, nefarious witchcraft energy and all of this. And so what the client told me was that Marianne Williamson is like legit a witch and she's known to be so by people who are Wiccan and she's like really high up in the hierarchy. And so all of the witches around the world were putting their energy into making sure that she was the next democratic president. Wow. And so this poster that I was making had all of these symbols in it, like the um, seal of the stamp of the angel Metatron. And there was like the 13 point lightning bolt and all wow. of these different things. It's a seven, 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 which means a whole thing. I don't know. And, <laughs> and uh, I was so deep into it in time and i was really desperate to get paid for this thing that i just kept working on it. instead of saying i'm very uncomfortable with this which i should have yeah. done and said yeah. i you know you're gonna have to find somebody else to finish this thing because i'm walking away which i should have done way earlier and uh you know i had sort of a spiritual crisis over this whole thing because um yeah i don't have any hate for marianne williamson i listened to her speak and like she's fun to listen to Actually, every time she spoke, all of the conservative commentators were like, who is this person? Why don't we have her for president? <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> she was just like, we need to heal the world with love, you know, and all this stuff. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but she was playing off the whole Trump thing. Trump just hates everybody. And it's kind of like you don't you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're just watching the corporate media. Like, you don't listen to. A I can hear you. Sorry about that, man. It's okay. Did I do something wrong? Uh, I was fucking with the screen, but let's just say, uh, let's just say the Wiccans fucked us up. <laughs> they could hear me. Their ears were burning. Yeah, they got it. so Marianne Williamson. She was she was super super woo, and the Republicans thought uh, that uh, she should be elected. She wanted to change the world with love, and then you you had a crisis with the poster, and uh, and then what happened? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure where it cut out. So I'll just give it like a moment to pause and uh, edit out, and then I'll just sort of launch into where I was at and finish it up. Yeah. That's cool. so, um, so I'm building this poster, and as it goes along, um, the client keeps adding more and more of these occult symbols to it. And the entire goal is to create uh, an energy flow like around this candidate. And And the whole thing about it is it's so... Uh, subversive and under the radar it's all built on a facade of one thing but a reality of another it's like an inversion the reality is an inversion of the face of it just like everything going on with um you know what they're calling civil rights type things right now there, there's people marching in the streets for uh, you know a, re a revision of their rights they're going to lose rights they're not going to gain rights but they don't know it because they're being tricked um so it's just this deceptiveness underneath all of it that is completely out of control. And then I did all these revisions of this poster. I never got paid for it too. So that oh, was kind of a, I'm gonna ask. Yeah, that was a big breaking point for me where I was just like, oh, I'm not involving myself anymore. I used to be neutral and just take on whatever project. Now I would say no to projects because it felt like a bad situation or it wasn't a deal or I was too busy and I'd give it to somebody else. But that was a point at which I just hit a wall and say, you know what? No more leftist causes. There, there's always this duplicitous nature. There's always this insincerity and this deceptiveness to it. I'm done. Like, just no more. Wow. 
Oh my gosh, that's crazy, man. And I mean, I know you know this, but for anyone who doesn't know my history, I spent a significant amount of my time and money in my history building zines and comic books specifically to bridge the gap between people and to bring understanding between people of both sides of the parties. Right. I don't I don't think you can do that in 2021. There's just too much insincerity and deception going on. Yeah, the, the gap. The, the gap. people on the yeah, left yeah. don't understand it. And the ones who do understand it, they go along with it and they smile and tell you it isn't so. It's insane. Like we're dealing with the land of well, we're dealing with the land of the insane versus the people living in reality. And I like I'm team reality. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and what's what's crazy about the uh, conservatives is like they agree and you know creative spirit and you know, helping the the earth and, and you know, helping society, but like to create a building or to create a project to come through the project, it, it does get dirty and it, it never, it never stays above ground. It, it's hard and it's, it's dedication. It's never easy. And I don't know if people, you know, not obviously not everyone on the left is that way, but it seems like these people, you know, in the media, it's like they just want everyone else to do everything for them and, and the government's going to take care of everything and, and magically it just happens. Like there's like a, like a supreme disc. Boots on the ground, shovels in the dirt, understanding of, of building and, and creating a better society. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, is like politics is ugly. Like it's always going to be ugly. The people that get motivated to involving themselves in politics are always going to be fighting dirty but if we have a healthy respectful and and honest press then we would all be able to see that from outside and we'd be able to look at things from the point of view of the policies and the the importance of each policy or the the negative effects of each policy and we'd be more civil would you say the press is unregulated, though? Because they're just saying anything and everything for clicks. They're being as dramatic as they possibly could, not because of civil responsibility, because it makes them more money. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. As long as you agree with that, then that's cool. I don't, I don't know how to fix that, and I don't want to solve that on this podcast. So let's talk about drugs instead. Well, all right. Uh, do you feel like all drugs should be legal? More drugs should be legal? Uh, drugs should be regulated? I mean, for sure, the, the money should not be going to the Mexican cartels that are creating fentanyl and carfentanyl and funding all these homeless people or feeding all these homeless people terrible fucking drugs. You know, obviously, the pharmaceutical industry has something to do with it as well. But wh- where is your stance on legal and illegal drugs right now? Um, this is a great topic, and I think it's something that people need to talk about more. Um, it's the final topic. Yeah, this so, is a podcast, man, but I, I'm having fun talking to you. I don't want this to be our last podcast together. Okay. So as as far as, like, drugs and it, should they be illegal, should they not be illegal? So I, I think the, the thing we need to look at more than that is um, we need to be realistic about the effect that they're having on society. Um, I'm not for the criminalization of the addict. I think I, I think I do have to say at this point in my life, I'm very much for the criminalization of 
certain aspects of the drug trade itself. So um, I don't think that people who have addictions um, should be punished through the legal system. Um, I think that for me, talking about this now, I can't avoid the connection to homelessness. Um, I have three big topics. And like, if I could just, if I had to just stop drawing and go get a real day job, uh, I would want it to be something that has to do with one of my three H's, which is either hoarding, human trafficking, or homelessness. Uh, and and trying to homelessness. hoarding real quick? What, what do you mean about hoarding? Like co- corporate hoarding? No, so like hoarding, uh, like psychological, the, the the mental illness of hoarding. Oh, okay, people okay, okay, okay. people um, can no longer live in their homes because their home has been completely destroyed by their connection to objects. And they can't, you know, a lot of, I could go into this for hours, man. I wrote, uh, I have a series of zines that I write when I go to zine fests and comic book shows. Yeah. Um, I have this side line of, of stuff that I work on called zines about hoarding. Wow. And so it's a topic I'm really passionate about, but uh, we go into the weeds on that. So we're talking about um, drugs and through the lens of homelessness. Um, there is a great video on YouTube that I recommend you to check out. Okay. Um, okay. And I agree with like 90% or 95% of what they're saying. And it, it's called um, Seattle is Dying. Okay. And okay. It, it's, um, it's just a view of like the problem. And it, it starts talking about um, like the protests of 2020 and stuff like that. But it's not about that. It very quickly it shifts gears and starts talking about homelessness and how to alleviate homelessness and what are the core causes of homelessness and like if we're being honest we get right down to it in America the the reason that we have rampant homelessness is because of drugs and alcohol we okay. have alcoholism okay. we have drug addiction those are the key causes there's really nobody who's on the streets who like is stuck there because they lost their job. There's some hard luck stories where, you know, certain circumstances happened and what have you, but people stay on the streets because their lives are not working out for them and they have addictions. Um, have they given up or they just can't control their addictions? Well, I mean, I've, I've worked in that field somewhat. And to me, it's not important to figure out the why it's just yeah, important i respect that like if the addict wants to heal then the addict needs to recognize that they have a problem and a lot of the times they don't and so like they could have gotten there any number of ways um it doesn't matter how they got there or what circumstances in their life brought them to it what matters is that that's where they're at so yeah, it's like an acceptance yeah. it's an acceptance of like where are we at right now and we have to let go of the whys and wherefores and how did we get here? A lot of that, um, maybe it could have been this, maybe it could have been that type of thinking breeds the sort of resentments that cause to go deeper into their habit anyway. Um, okay. So okay. when you have, um, so when you talk about like, should it be legal? Should it not be legal? Well, I don't think that police or I won't even say police because that's a hot button topic right now, but I'll say like, I don't believe that um, the legislative branch 
at any level should be concerned about people who are like using inside like the privacy of their own space as far as like going in and stopping them yeah what i think is because i'm i'm a lot more anti-drug than i was when you and i knew each other a lot um like a lot closer but um i think that what we need is more of a reality check with pop culture um you know where people can say you know what a lot of the problems that we're having are because there are people who are addicted and um i'm not the kind of person who gives a lot of credence to a victimhood mentality but uh, in this topic i do think that people who have addictions are a victim of their addictions and a lot of times it's they're a victim of their own thinking that's well said and um the only way to get out of it is to change their thinking because they got stinking thinking would you would you say that meth and heroin are the leading drugs for that victimhood we're talking about homelessness specifically yeah um yeah i think just from my point of view that and alcohol okay i respect that yeah i I think alcohol needs to be count you can't discount alcohol um and i don't think it matters what form of the alcohol is but uh i I think those three um are the biggest ones you know um uh, we've seen it in in boulder you know we're seeing the same thing in seattle and portland i travel a lot you know i spend a lot of time in denver i spend a lot of time in seattle and portland in the northwest um, especially in the fall when I do all my sales trips and everything. And all those cities are just falling apart. It's happening yeah. on a small scale. So like Boulder, Colorado, um, very, very warm hearted people. You know, they're very, very left. They're, they're liberals. They almost like almost entirely. It's one of the, one of the most leftist places I've ever lived. Um, and they have a huge problem with drug abuse and homelessness in their public spaces. And right. it's a, it's a big deal. Like if you go on to, I don't know if you know the next door uh, platform, but no. next door is like Facebook, but only for people in your neighborhood. Oh, so, yeah. So you have to like verify your address and um, prove that you live there because it's only neighbors talking to neighbors, you know, and you, you meet a lot of people that you never would normally. Um, and you know, it, because it happens to be Boulder, they all have their, um, kind of like programmed beliefs. They're, they're, they're like corporate approved program beliefs that they can't stop and think beyond where, um, they can't see the connection between paying people to not work and, giving people entitlements to stay out, but then also making sure that those entitlements are only good if you stay below a certain level of income. And then all of a sudden they've got a situation where, you know, six years ago, the parks in Boulder were these big green, beautiful parks that ran along the rivers. And, and now there's tents everywhere they're yeah. afraid to take kids into the water because there's too much uh, sewage in the in the river. Ew. 
Uh, yeah, it's a big problem. And um, the theft is out of control. They, they've got a crime wave happening in Boulder. And wow. nobody talks about it in the papers or anything, but people sure talk about it on the forum boards of like Nextdoor, where you have these communities, it's 95% leftist, and they're going, somebody stole my catalytic. What's going right. on? I can't take my kids to the park anymore because there's too many needles everywhere, and there's homeless people passed out everywhere, and the cops won't do anything. Right. You know, and it's sort of like, well, everywhere right now, this is what you voted for, for one thing. Like you wanted yeah. this to happen or you wouldn't have voted the way that you did. Because... And then you also end up with this other, you know, this other part of it that usually people on the right have to deal with, like conservatives usually have to deal with it. But now people on the left are certain to have to deal with it a lot more, I think, in the last year, which is you can't say that because now you're bigot or you're hateful or you're a classicist or you name it like whatever fill in the blank doesn't yeah, matter so good, you, all the liberals were buying guns too <laughs> it's true it's fucking true and everyone's moving out of the cities yeah 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 not on my um, lawn yeah good luck yeah so um i think uh i mean i i'm a i've kind of come to this slowly um uh, but here's my thought on it like how to fix it okay yeah let's hear it and then I got, then I got a question about psychedelics after this. Okay. I think that you need to, I, I think that there needs to be kind of a heavy hand with dealing with it. Um, I think that that includes, um, I think that that includes law enforcement being backed up for going into homeless camps and breaking them up, but also taking people into custody. Now, I don't think that anyone taken into custody for these kind of situations ought to be looking at things like fines or imprisonment or punishments. I I think that we're looking at more of like an alternative to the prison system where people are being, um, you know, like literally forced, like you were going to prison, to go into some sort of a rehab and at least get six months of clarity and sobriety under their belt. It's cheaper than prison anyway. Yeah, so that they can think again. Yeah. You know, because once they're in that position where they, they have heroin and meth and they're on the streets and they're stealing bikes, they are no longer capable as a rational, free-thinking adult to make their own decisions. Like, it's just the way it is. So, I mean, I said earlier, like, our purpose in life is to learn how to make good choices that will benefit us and the people around us and and also to make mistakes and learn and learn how to make better choices well once you get this kind of situation where the brain is addled by chemicals it turns everything to game there's no long term anything yeah you can't pull yourself out of it so i do think that you can't force somebody to be sober um if they don't want to rehabilitate or be free and clear of the vice, they won't be. It's it's hard, man. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that, um, the public areas are for the tax paying public. Like they're paid for, they're paid for and they're maintained. And they're taken care of and built for the benefit of the citizens, specifically 
the ones who are paying taxes. And once you have people who have dropped out completely and they're not a part of the society and they don't want anything to do with it, they don't really get to say on how those spaces are to be used. And it's certainly not. Yeah, you don't hear that a lot and it's not going to make me popular, but it's not for, you know, sidewalks are not for people to sleep on. I agree with you. And people will say I'm being uncompassionate. And I don't think that I am because I don't think it's compassionate to let people sleep outside or to lay in their own filth or to be hooked on a needle. I don't think that's compassionate to leave them alone. And so you, you know, if you see that on a forum board where somebody says, you can't say that because you're not being compassionate, you need, like, people need to start speaking up and saying, you know, freaking cardboard they're asking for help. So, yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. Let's fucking help them. Don't put them in fucking prison. Yeah. So, um, I don't think that they should be punished. I don't think they should come out of that kind of lifestyle with six months of sobriety under their belt and be told that they have a huge amount of fines that they have to work off now. That's not the solution. But I do think that like forcibly putting them into rehabilitative custody is going to have to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, dude, I could go on about that. I know, I love this. Time. I love this. I love it. It's like it's a long podcast, but we're, we're going through a lot. So, all right, psychedelics, you know, mainly like LSD, mushrooms, DMT, MDMA. Uh, do you feel like those should be legalized and or less regulated or used in clinical therapy, or do you have any uh, opinions on those? Well, um, I can't speak to it. Like, I won't speak to it in terms of clinical therapy um, because I just don't have like a grounding on that. Um, I think that they could be abused. And I mean, I come from a background with like, I got experience with all those things. Um, I think that um, they can lead to mental illness. Um, And I I feel like nobody is talking about that. Um, So I think that's a problem. Uh, okay. I can see that though. Where as it's, far it's as individual like risks, life. Yeah, I mean, there's some people who are just so fried. I'm, you know, I'm lucky to not be that super fried. But I think as as far as, um, as as far as like being illegal, um, I kind of view this more from the point of view of like the society. I think they should be less romanticized. Okay. Uh, I think that the experiences that you get from them are generally like not as positive as people say. And so there's this romanticization about it um, where it's sort of like naughty and fun, but you also have like um, a new experience that you wouldn't have had. And when you get into things like MDMA and ecstasy, you've got a release of endorphins, you know, in the body. Um, Dopamine is a big deal. Right. I think dopamine's at the base of all addictions, essentially. But I don't think that those are necessarily super addictive drugs, right. you know. Um, but um, I don't mind. So, I mean, for like a recreational kind of a situation, I don't think that they should penalize, at least very heavily. You yeah. Know? Uh, right. Um, okay. Um, so just where, where were we at? We were at homelessness, drugs. No, we did that. And then we were talking about mental illness and psychedelics. And I do, I do agree 
that um, it has been romanticized a bit because I know uh, my my brother who does not dabble in, in any sort of drugs or psychedelics. He's like, why do you do it? And I'm like, it helps you appreciate sobriety because <laughs> it really does. It really does take you down a road that if you stay there, you, you don't come back or at least you don't see you don't see the world the same way when, as when you started. And maybe, you know, partly that's good. But in, in you know, when it comes to just, you know, a functional life, it may, may not be good. Yeah, and I think the functional life part of it is really, really important. I think you hit the nail on the head there, and that shouldn't be understated. Um, I, I think a lot of it, for me, comes from the point of view of, like, I don't hate the drug. I don't hate the psychedelic. I don't think that a little bit of part-time use with it is going to permanently impair somebody or do anything terrible I think it's just the idea that it's a lifestyle that's the problem because I don't know who would want to stay tripping all the time. That is so unnerving. I know a lot of people who would, uh, you know, it's, it's not a lifestyle. You can't build a life that way. Um, and it's, I think it's intentional on the part of pop culture. And I, I said this before, like when I say, the word Hollywood. I don't just mean productions coming out of LA. I just mean the greater pop culture itself and the direction of pop culture. I feel like it's just part of that same subversive, intentionally malicious um, desire to destroy. It's uh, There's a nihilism going on in the culture about destruction. And I think that the romanticization of drug use is a big part of that. Interesting. So yeah, so I mean, I don't not a uh, side effect. It's a feature. Yeah, so I, I do think that yes, and, wow. and so um, and, and I think it's intentionally to keep as many young people specifically from being able to get their feet grounded and get their roots and and get a positive motivation, uh, or I mean to say, positive momentum going in their lives. Um, at a young age to, um, you know, be able to make good choices and to be able to be fruitful and to live like whatever lifestyle they choose to live, to live in a positive, beneficial way that helps them and their neighbors to grow, you know, together. Yeah. And it's hard to grow together when one person's tripping balls and the other person is trying, is working, you know, or is grounded in whatever non-drug, habits and then it and then it, it creates a sense of the other instead of a, a community bond yeah and, and not only that but you also have that it goes back to that whole thing about um living a life built on resent resentment and destruction there's this nihilism going on with it i lived the, now i'm 41 years old right now i lived almost all of my life thinking that life was completely unfair and completely impossible and i didn't understand how you could like get from point A to point B and, and live a fruitful or even happy or hopeful life. I was very confused and re resentful towards people who seemed to have it all figured out. I thought there was a secret that some people knew about how to maybe make money or take care of themselves better or be more focused. I mean, the reality was like, they just weren't doing the things that I was doing. 
yeah. there wasn't a secret. Everybody knew it except me, you know. So, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of, like, when when you're living that kind of positive, fruitful life, when you do live in a certain way, good things will happen to you. It doesn't matter who you are, or what your background is, or what your neighborhood's like. Positive things come from positive things. Yeah, creative, constructive, additive, instead of subjective ideas, you know, or idealisms, ideologues, you know, or listen to me, ego-driven. It's all boots on the ground, shovels in the dirt, working towards something together with a community slowly. Yeah, that's great. Honest communication. Yeah, all right. I agree with that. I agree with that. Honest communication. Honest communication. How, when was the last time you heard anyone say they wanted to have honest communication? You know, yeah. everything is so veiled in, well, you said this, so that makes you this. You said this, but you really mean that. You heard this, but really meant this. Like, there is a serious, I just realized this recently, and I'm not sure I can articulate it as well, but I think I just learned something new. Maybe other people get it, and I just figured it out, and it's commonly known. But it seems to me like there is an intentional goal through our pop culture to make sure that people do not take each other with sincerity. Take each other what? With sincerity. With a sense of sincerity. So that whenever somebody talks to you, you automatically feel that they're being duplicitous. Ha. Wow. Or that there must be an ulterior motive. Yeah. Whereas, like, I, I know that a lot of people on the left who I disagree with yeah. are yeah. not intentionally being malicious. They're trying to do something that makes them feel good or makes them think that they've done a good thing. But yeah. when confronted yeah. with when a, confronted with an opposing thought, they feel like the opposing thoughts coming from a position of insincerity. So, like when you see these comic book movies side on the villains instead of the heroes, do you think that's part of this movement? Hmm. I don't. Are, are you talking like uh, Infinity War specifically, or are there other ones? Uh- uh, no, it just seems like, you know, the Joker movies or Infinity War or all these other used to be, you know, villains in our childhood. And now they're like, well, now we should try and understand from their perspective. You know, do you think that's part of the mm-hmm. same idea? Well, um, there's no clear bad. Just nothing's black and white anymore, you know? That's a great question. So, I, yes, I think that that whole, like, um, everything's gray, there's no good and bad anymore. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I also think there's an intentional inversion, like a malicious inversion going on, um, where we are meant to think, uh, like, if we are to be adherents of this entertainment, we are meant to think that what is the bad is actually the good, and what is the good is actually oppressive and bad. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean... Enough confusion for more control or whatever. I think that if we're comparing those two movies, that's certainly more true in the Joker movie than it is in the Infinity War. Because I don't think in the Infinity War that the viewer is ever supposed to view the Avengers as the bad guys oppressing um, Thanos. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, but I do think that's the case in the Joker film. And I think, which is interesting because the left wing hated the Joker film when it came out. If you remember, that was like, they were super opposed to it. They felt like it was a product of white supremacy and um, that it was like this violent conservative film. And I don't think that's what it ended up being. I just feel like that was... It was, really dark, really. <laughs> it was super dark. I actually took my wife to watch Taxi Driver because of it. As a result, I was like, you have to watch Taxi Driver. Um, wow. Yeah. But uh, uh, I liked Joker a lot. I thought it was really artful. Um, I felt like it was, uh, I mean, I, I just really like this. I love psychological dramas that suck you in like that. So I really like Joker. I don't mean to speak poorly about it, but I do think that there is that element of, you're supposed to watch it and then you're supposed to take on the weight of feeling like this, you know, horrible maniac is actually just misunderstood or actually a victim of a society. And I really hated their Thomas Wayne. I I really had a problem with their Thomas Wayne. Um, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that their Thomas Wayne was um, an unfatherly figure. Yeah. Because, um, it wasn't being seen through the lens of Bruce Wayne. So for him to be kind of a dick, I was sort of all right with that. I was like, yeah, you know, I like this Thomas Wayne. But then um, <laughs> the reactions to him were such that it was being played as if he were the grand villain of the movie. And um, I just didn't see him being much of a villain at all. I did think that the whole discarding of a potential child was sort of villainous, but I felt like that was supposed to cause resentment on the part of the audience. And I feel like they were sort of playing a trick with him. Like real Thomas Wayne wouldn't do that. Like they're changing the character. Yeah. yeah. Um, but him being a jerk in the bathroom and like threatening the guy who was stalking his son, I was totally down with that. I was a hundred percent for that Thomas Wayne. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then like, so, so with infinity war and Thanos, you have a little bit different situation, but I think it's, similar what you've got going on there is um i don't think you're supposed to see the avengers as villains um and thanos is the good guy because clearly thanos is supposed to be the villain but they did humanize him and i really liked how they made it sort of like the thanos story they said they were going to do that way in advance we knew that years in advance yeah um but um what you're dealing with there is um you're essentially dealing with um like the idea of um population control and intentionally forcing violent radical population control on an unsuspecting populace because the ends justify the means it's very marxist it's very hegelian yeah Um, and i think i think that the audience was meant to walk away from that going you know what thanos had a point and it was meant to invoke (laughs) in the viewer uh, sympathy with that philosophy more than the character well, and, 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 that's one thing that i've been working on myself it's just like i feel like you know there's good and bad but if humans were 51 percent bad you know there would be no humans so there is more good than bad but at the same time um oh god what, what was i gonna say oh uh, even the bad guy you know or the labeled bad guy thinks that he's doing good you know, that no one thinks that they're bad, you know, or, or most people don't, unless they're sociopathic, you know, most people think that they're good, even if they're Every, not. Yeah, I would say almost nearly everybody. 
Yeah, right. So I don't know if that's just more more philosophy or um, uh, what uh, what's the psych psychiatry psychi- psychiatry intermixed in there? But I, I see where you're going. I, I do like that. So I, I've. I don't know if you've ever listened to any Jordan Peterson, but he had this thing he said at one point. Hell yeah. I I listen listen to his podcast, man. I freaking love that. Yeah. You might have heard this before then, and and I'm not going to be able to deliver it very well, but he was saying that um, the problem with viewing history as good people and bad people, even though there are clearly and objectively bad people is that um, you turn some figures into supervillains in like a fantastical sense. Yeah, for sure. Like they couldn't exist or this could never happen instead of what he said, failing to, and this is paraphrasing horribly, but instead of failing to realize that, those abysmal things that that horrible person did that could be you if yeah your thinking yeah. is wrong yeah well yeah because he and he uses hitler as an example a lot because it wasn't hitler hitler didn't control germany germany allowed hitler to go he he caught them up in a almost religious fervor and they allowed these things to happen it was it wasn't just hitler being hitler Again, it's not any different than what we see the left caught up in now. It's true. I mean, and if they had more power, you know, they would silence things. They would control. They would murder. They would kill. You know, if they were completely unchecked, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same pattern, just not as far down the road yet. You know, they 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 want to put conservative people on a list, like it's the exact same thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not 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 Democrats, not liberals. These are like these are the the super far left, outspoken people in the media or social media. You know, it's not it's not bled into society yet, but they are very outspoken. It, it's the outspoken minority for sure. Well, but it, earlier, it seems to be getting more popular. Yeah, earlier we talked about um, earlier we talked about how people are having a little bit of an awakening and saying, maybe this situation, maybe I should leave the cities. Maybe this isn't working out. Maybe I do need to own a gun. Um, there's that level of awakening going on. And those are people who've just believed what they've been told because the words came from somebody with a perceived authority. Right. And there's a lot of that. There's that on the right too. Um, you know, but it's, it's more on the left. Uh, you don't have as much pushback on the left against the systems of authority. The left, is about authority it's authoritarianism writ large and so you do have a significant amount of people in the power hierarchy on the left who understand the joke and they get the punchline and they're going along with it because they make their money doing that and they understand the maliciousness and they're fine with it it's just fine because the ends justify the means to them true yeah Um, yeah power is the is the end goal yeah Yeah, for sure. Okay. Right on, man. I agree. I agree with all this stuff. I'm really uh, grateful for you doing this. And I'm really uh, hoping that the recording got saved. Um, but let's let's just assume that it that it did get saved and we don't have to redo it. But uh, well, I have I have faith in this podcasting company. Okay. Well, so 
jjamesdesignandillustration.com, uh, maryandjjames.com. Look up the YouTube outtakes. Anything else you want to add? Any other final thoughts other than just – I'm just really great. Well, I just want to um, clarify those addresses. Sure. Uh, jjamesdesignandillustration.com. That's just J-A-M-E-S, just the J by itself. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, um, then, uh, I would also say, um, yeah, I'm super excited. I'd love to talk with you again. I'm going to be working on, um, the final issue of my comic book series called maze. Um, Ooh. and the culminative issue is massive. It's going to be a 69 pages of original story content with some, <laughs> um, with some collected prelude material from the previous issues to get the reader caught up um this thing is going to be so big it's probably going to be 80 pages when it's published wow. and i want it to be on my table at conventions for 10 years and i'd like to try and get it published through um like one of the uh one of the independent comic companies that'll that'll uh, take work like this i think it's going to be of high enough caliber i've did I've done it like I've never done any comic before. I did four drafts of of the script. And the fourth draft of it is a full set of thumbnails that are really detailed. So I've drawn out every page in advance and figured out the lighting sources of everything. Uh, and so I'm going to be drawing it with a heavy, um, a heavy hand towards um, the lighting and um they're they're underground they're going and descending into a temple and they finally reach their goal after three issues of trying to get to the goal they're in the goal so um, i think it should be i'm excited i'm working on it right now yeah it's huge and i've got a ton of client projects going on they look great um there's going to be some more common conventions coming up so i'm going to be all over the place on that and uh, I'm taking part in some festivals I normally wouldn't have. And like, life's pretty good. I'm, I've been changing my game and uh, how to do work during the shutdown. And like, uh, got a lot of head of steam built up right now. Cool. That's badass, man. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're doing in the future. I know you've done a lot in the past. So this has really been an honor to be able to talk to you, especially this long. And I'm really hoping that recording got, uh, got saved and we can just uh, move on with our lives and do this at our, at a regular clip. Heck yeah. Okay. Right on bro. Hey, you have a great, uh, rest of your Sunday and, uh, hopefully we talk soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure, Kelly. Hey, appreciate it, bro. You take care.